Well, good morning, everyone. What a joy it is to be back and um, see all of your smiling faces and those who are joining us online as well. Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the book of James. I'll be reading chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. James 1, beginning at verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. When the U.S. Supreme Court announced their decision to overturn Roe versus Wade on June 24th of this year, pro-choice advocates announced that this summer would be a summer of rage. A summer of rage. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing and hearing a lot of outrage these days. Outrage by some over the 2020 election results, outrage over the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, outrage over continuing gun violence, outrage over the continuing problem of racism, outrage over the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and this is just to scratch the surface. And COVID-19 hasn't helped with people's outrage over forced church closures, mask and vaccine mandates, resulting in church splits, even families divided within churches over COVID. And making matters worse, if all of that isn't enough, is the attitude that if you don't agree with me, then I'm not wasting my time talking with you. I'll use my outrage to cancel you or dox you. I'll discredit you on social media. I'll have people flood your phone with messages. I'll accost you in the restaurant you're dining at, and I'll organize protests outside your family's home. 
as the conservative Supreme Court justices are experiencing this summer. Basically, I'll make your life miserable. Well, my question is, whatever happened to civil discourse? And yes, even some who identify themselves as Christians are guilty of these tactics. Is there a way forward? What's a Christian to do? Let's see what our passage in James has to teach us. I've titled this morning's message, A Christian Approach to Outrage. First, be quick to listen. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Notice what James doesn't say. James doesn't say, some of you. James doesn't say, a few of you. James doesn't say, this only applies to those of you who have a problem in this area. No, he says, everyone should be quick to listen. That means you, and that means me. Daniel Fink wrote an essay called Top 10 Tips for Christian Evangelism from an Atheist. In it, he says, and I quote, ask more questions and do less preaching. People just like to be heard, and they like people who listen to them. And they will feel more trust in you the more they open up to you. You have to overcome the temptation to make your attempts to persuade others all about how you feel and what you think. Your focus must be on what the person you're persuading feels and thinks. Be quick to listen. Listen actively. Ask questions. Let the other person know that you're interested in learning how they feel and why they feel the way they do. What life experiences shape their viewpoint? We can learn a lot by listening. Second, be slow to speak. I know that's a tough one for some of us. Be slow to speak. Again, Daniel Fink says, quote, don't give unsolicited advice or judgments. Support people and wait for them to ask for your input if they want it, unquote. Have you ever been in a meeting or a class or a Bible study and you've been so intent on trying to formulate your questions that you weren't listening to what the others were saying? Being slow to speak helps you to be a better listener. Let me ask you a question. Does any person, even a Christian brother or sister, have to share your views about COVID vaccines in order for you to love them by listening to them? No, of course not. Simply listening is one way of showing love. 
Listening is showing love. Does any person, even a Christian or brother or sister, have to share your political views in order for you to love them by listening to them? I certainly hope not. We can be politically diverse and still fellowship together and serve and worship the Lord Jesus together. Let me give you an example. Jesus' 12 disciples were politically diverse. There was Matthew, the tax collector. A tax collector worked for the Roman government and was despised by many of the Jews because of their dishonesty. Then there was Simon, the zealot, called the zealot to distinguish him from the other Simon, Simon Peter. A zealot was a radical revolutionary seeking to overthrow the Roman government. So here in Jesus' band of disciples were two disciples that were on opposite ends of the political spectrum, one who had worked for the government and one who had been working against the government. Does that sound familiar, thinking about Christians today? And yet, in spite of their opposing political views, Matthew and Simon were brothers in Christ, followers of Jesus. Scott Sauls, in his book, Jesus Outside the Lines, says that the two of them lived together in community. The fact that they lived together in community suggests a hierarchy of loyalties, especially for Christians. He says, quote, our loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom must always exceed our loyalty to an earthly agenda, whether political or otherwise. People from varying political persuasions can experience unity under a single first allegiance to Jesus the King." Unquote. Should you question a brother or sister's faith because they didn't vote like you did in the last election? Of course not. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Third, be slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires, James 1, 19 and 20. Maybe a more modern paraphrase would be, be slow to become outraged. Most of our anger results in a sinful response to something said or done to us. However, anger itself is simply a feeling, a motivator. It's what we do with our anger that leads to sinful behavior or hurtful words. Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Which would lead us to conclude that it's possible to be angry without sinning. Some anger is righteous anger. However, even righteous anger should be arrived at slowly. Psalm 103 verse eight says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, 
Do you remember the next phrase? Slow to anger and abounding in love. I was reading the minor prophet Joel this week and there it was again in Joel chapter 2 verse 13. Return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. If God is slow to anger, if God is slow to become angry, how much more should we be slow to become angry? Even when expressions of righteous anger may be entirely justified. As James says, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Let me give you two examples. Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria, headed to Jerusalem, and Jesus sent a couple of the disciples ahead into a Samaritan village to make plans for his arrival. But the people there did not welcome him when they heard that he was going on to Jerusalem. James and John, sometimes called the sons of thunder due to their confrontational nature, were so upset that they wanted to call down fire to consume the Samaritans. Was their anger justified? But Jesus rebuked them. Luke 9, 51 through 59. The other example was when Judas led the soldiers and religious leaders to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of the disciples took out his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Was his anger justified? Jesus said, put your sword back in its place for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? 66,000 angels. But, Jesus continues, how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way, in this way with his arrest and crucifixion. So man's anger, even righteous anger, is not always warranted to accomplish God's purposes and does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, first be quick to listen Second, be slow to speak. Third, be slow to become angry. And fourth, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. James chapter 1, verse 22. Do what it says. James tells us that God's word is like a mirror. It shows us who we really are and reveals our true character, that we are sinners in need of grace, sinners in need of a savior, that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
that there is none who is righteous, no, not one, and that we are truly lost apart from God's forgiveness and reconciliation through his son, Jesus. Once we see our desperate plight and need, only then will we appreciate God's mercy and grace. Once we see our desperate plight and need, only then will we appreciate what Jesus Christ has done for us by dying for us in payment for our sins, delivering us from God's judgment and wrath, giving us the desire to love, serve, and obey him, to be doers of his word, So how can we remain outraged? How can we remain angry with those who have hurt us when we understand what God has done for us? Paul in Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. James says we will be blessed in what we do. We will be blessed in what we do. So, verse 26, keep a tight rein on your tongue. James has a lot to say about the tongue later in chapter 3, that it's a restless evil full of poison. And quote, with the same tongue that we praise our Lord and Father, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. My brothers, this should not be. Whether they are enemies or our brothers and sisters in Christ that we've had a falling out with, they are still image bearers of God. And for this reason alone, have value in God's eyes, and they should be valued by us as well. We can say a lot of hurtful things in our anger or in a moment of rage. Therefore, keep a tight rein on your tongue. Verse 27, look after orphans and widows in their distress, those who are helpless, less fortunate, in need of an advocate, and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. There's a lot of talk about pollution these days, things in the environment that are toxic and destructive. In the same way, there are things in the world that are toxic to one's faith, such as the self-centered desire for power and authority, fame and fortune, the quest to dominate others, to be considered better than others. These are some of the world's pollutants. We're called to the way of humility. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul says, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or held on to but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he did what? He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death 
on a cross. Jesus's way is the way of humility. Unfortunately, some who identify themselves as Christians in dealing with the outrage they are confronted with, in dealing with those they consider their enemies, have resorted to a movement that instead of humility seeks to gain political power and authority over others. Again, Scott Sauls in his book, Jesus Outside the Lines, has some wisdom about such a movement. And I quote, the politics of God's kingdom are different from the world's politics. Kingdom politics reject the world's methods of misusing power and manipulating the truth. The world's methods of misusing power and manipulating the truth are rejected by kingdom politics. Saul's asks, what does it look like for Christians to live out Jesus's kingdom vision in our lives? And I quote, it looks like taking care of widows and orphans. Isn't this what James just said? Advocating for the poor, improving economies, paying taxes, honoring those in authority, loving our neighbors, pursuing excellence at work, and blessing, blessing those who persecute us. When this happens, kings, presidents, governors, mayors, law enforcement officers, park officials, and other public servants will take notice. Those in authority, says Saul's, will begin to see Christians as an asset to society. They will recognize and appreciate that Christians as citizens first and foremost of God's kingdom value leaving the world in better shape than we found it. Christianity always flourishes most as a life-giving minority, not as a powerful majority. Let me say that again. Christianity always flourishes most as a life-giving minority, not as a powerful majority. It's through subversive, countercultural acts of love, justice, and service for the common good that Christianity has always gained the most ground." Unquote. I've been thinking a lot about this in the past few months. What's going on is very upsetting. So finally, I'd like to end with an illustration of a Christian who, when faced with outrage and persecution, took the way of humility and followed James' advice about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, not just hearing God's word, but doing what it says. A Christian who kept a tight rein on his tongue and tried to keep himself from being polluted by the world. 
I'll let you judge for yourselves if the Lord blessed his obedience and how you might be used by the Lord to do the same thing. This story is about a man named Dan Cathy. Does that name ring a bell? Dan Cathy is the president of Chick-fil-A, a fast food chain most prevalent in the South. Dan Cathy, a Christian, was asked by a reporter about his beliefs regarding gay marriage. Wanting to be true to his understanding of scripture, he simply said that he believed marriage is designed for a man and a woman. The outrage that followed resulted in a well-organized and highly publicized protest against Dan Cathy, his commitment to the Bible, and a boycott of Chick-fil-A by a group called Campus Pride. Maybe you remember this happening about 10 years ago and how supporters of Dan Cathy rallied with what they called Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day, buying millions of chicken sandwiches as a counter protest. But it's important to know that Dan Cathy never personally affirmed or joined in the counter protest. I would venture to say that you probably never heard what I am about to tell you. Dan Cathy quietly and privately reached out to the one, one of his strongest critics, gay activist Shane Windmeyer. The reason we know that is because of an essay Shane Windmeyer wrote for Huffington Post January 28, 2013, titled, Dan and Me, My Coming Out as a Friend of Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A. The following are excerpts from Shane Windmeyer's essay. These are not Dan Cathy's words. These are not my words. These are Shane Windmeyer's words. And I quote, on August 10th, 2012, well, that's just about 10 years ago, in the heat of the controversy, I got a surprise call from Dan Cathy. He'd gotten my cell phone number from a mutual business contact. I took the call with great caution. He was going to tear me apart, right? Give me a piece of his mind. Turn his lawyers on me. The first call lasted over an hour. And the private conversation led to more calls the next week and the week after that. His questions and a series of deeper conversations ultimately led to a number of in-person meetings. He had never before had such dialogue with a member of the LGBT community. It was awkward at times, but always genuine and kind. It is not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. Let me say that again. These are Shane Windmeyer's words. 
It is not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. Notice Shane's words, listening to one another. He continues, quote, we see this failure to listen and learn in our government, in our communities, and in our families. Dan, Kathy, and I would together try to do better than each of us had experienced before. Never once did Dan or anyone from Chick-fil-A ask for Campus Pride to stop protesting Chick-fil-A. On the contrary, Dan listened intently to our concerns and he sought first to understand not to be understood. Dan and I shared respectful, enduring communication and built trust. His demeanor has always been one of kindness and openness. Dan embraced the opportunity to have dialogue and hear my perspective. He and I were committed to a better understanding of one another. Our mutual hope was to find common ground if possible and to build respect no matter what we learned about each other as people with opposing views, not as opposing people. Throughout the conversations, Dan expressed a sincere interest in my life, wanting to get to know me on a personal level. He wanted to know where I grew up my faith, my family, my husband, Tommy. In return, I learned about his wife and kids and gained an appreciation for his devout belief in Jesus Christ and his commitment to being, quote, a follower of Christ more than, quote, a Christian. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A, but he offered no apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. And so the essay continues, but that gives you a sample and a flavor for it. You see, Dan Cathy took the initiative to listen, love, and respect another, which led to genuine friendship and understanding without ever apologizing for what he believed. I thank God for people like Dan Cathy and their example to us. Who, who do you need to befriend? to be quick to listen to, slow to speak, and slow to become angry with. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for Christians who want to build bridges when confronted with outrage and persecution. Help us to privately reach out to the people in our lives who are so vocal in their outrage and help us build life-giving relationships by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry.
Help us by your Holy Spirit to hear and understand your word, to never forget how much you have forgiven us that we would not withhold forgiveness from others. Help us by your Holy Spirit to be doers of your word as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat>